I don't know how the rest of you feel about uh, looking at an eye chart, uh, but for me it's come to be a bit of an irritation. Uh, because without fail, when I go to the eye doctor, which I do on an annual basis, uh, I've consistently started hearing, well, your vision's not bad, but it's about what I'd expect for someone your age. And uh, one of these days I'm inclined to politely tell that wonderful young lady who tells me that, uh, that it's not helpful at all. Um, but anyway, um, as I said last week, I suspect that on some level, most of us would express a heartfelt desire to see a fresh move of God sweep across our land. However, and I told you you're going to hear this again and again and again, before there can be a fresh move of God on any corporate level, there must be a fresh move of God in the hearts of individual believers. Therefore, I'm going to spend a few weeks, at least, inviting each of us to take a look inward, each of us to do, if you will, an eye exam, checking out to see where I am in relationship to where God would like to see me be. I implore you, to resist the temptation to think about all that needs to change around us. And I implore you to resist the temptation to think about all the changes other people need to make. Instead, I challenge each of us to invite the Holy Spirit of God to show us individually, show me, show you, what needs to change within our own heart and within our own mind. That's where change must start. One of the insights that I've gleaned over the years is that I cannot find the right answers for real spiritual transformation in my life if I'm not asking the right questions. My goal over the next few weeks is not to give you any answers because most of you have figured out by now I don't have very many. But what I am going to strive to do is challenge you to intentionally ask yourself some of the right questions. A few months back, I read a thought-provoking article, and at the time I thought, you know what, I might come back to that, and I might share it with the congregation. The article was called 30 Questions That Lead to Personal Revival. And as I said, corporate revival must be preceded by personal revival. It was written by a man named Bill Eliff, or Eliff, I'm not sure if I'm saying it correctly, so I'll say it both ways. Uh, he's a pastor, he's an author, he calls himself a revivalist. And, and so again, uh, as I read it, it was just like one page front and back. But this is going to be uh, somewhat different from what I would consider a typical message from me. But I feel the quality of the content justifies a departure from the name, from the norm, I should say. Today, I'm simply going to walk through the first 15 of those 30 questions. And he uses the framework of Ephesians chapter 5. And just FYI, I'll probably throw in a bonus question or two that are mine, and I'll try to differentiate between uh, or call out when they're questions I'm adding. But I just want to start, before we get to the actual questions, by 
reading Ephesians, I'm going to do it this way, by repeating Ephesians chapter 5, the first 14 verses. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So again, that's where we're starting. What is the example that Christ sets for us? And walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So again, remember, the series title is, excuse me, Time for an Eye Exam. So let's just start right now with an eye exam, with a U exam, with this question, or with this thought. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. So how are we doing with that, following his example? Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So how are we doing with loving the way that Jesus loved us? But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed because of, because these are improper for God's holy people. Okay, so we're jumping right into it. If we're talking about an eye exam, how are we doing with that? Not even a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint of any kind of impurity, not even a hint of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. <clears throat> Getting uncomfortable for anybody else yet? I mean, let's just get to it. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Obscenity? Okay. Foolish talk? Really? Coarse joking? That's all out of place. But rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are children of light. Live as children of light. We were once in darkness... Now in Christ we are in light, then live as children of light, Paul challenges. The fruit of life consists of, the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine in you. If I just sent you home right now and said, you chew on that, I think you'd have a mouthful. All right? But I got more. Uh, Not me, but... The first question, or the first set of questions, each of these comes under a different heading. The first set of questions come under the, comes under the heading of be careful. And Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. So again, the question is, Are we consistently being careful? And what this author suggested under be careful is first asking the question, do I see life with clarity? 
Now, I'm not talking about, you know, when you go to the eye doctor and they say, is this clearer or is this clear? You know, which is fuzzy? I hate that. It stresses me because if I get it wrong, I'm stuck with a bad prescription. All right. You know, I, I'm sorry. That's just one of my neuroses among many. But when it comes to our lives, do we see things clearly? And friends, the reason that is is, is incredibly important because most of us have an incredible capacity to deceive ourselves. Most of us are even better at deceiving ourselves than we are at deceiving others. So do I see life with clarity? Do I really understand what I'm doing and what's going on in the world around me? Proverbs 3, 7, these verses are not going to be up there, but Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Don't deceive yourself, but ask God to see clearly how you're interacting with the world and rightly discern that. So be careful. Do I see life with clarity from a godly perspective. Do I see evil and avoid it? First of all, do I see evil for what it is which is evil? And then do I flat out avoid it? Some of you that have been around for a while have heard me say countless times, and I do mean countless times, As Christ followers, sometimes we can be deceived and we slip into a pattern of behavior that says, how close can I come to evil without actually becoming evil? I've said it over and over and over again. How close can I stand to the mud puddle without getting dirty? If you don't want to get dirty, don't stand anywhere near the mud puddle. I know it sounds simple, But it's really, really difficult to do. So do I see evil? Again, for me, it's usually pretty easy to look around and see what I think is evil. But the question we all have to wrestle with is, am I intentionally, consistently, consciously avoiding it? I don't even want to go there. When the conversations start to head in a direction that is not healthy or holy, do I disengage? Do I call it out for what it is? Or do I just drift with the flow? When I'm with someone who's gravitating in a direction that is not consistent with my perception of God's will and God's pattern for holiness, do I call it for what it is? Or don't I? Be careful. Do I see life with clarity? Do I see evil and avoid it? Maybe I should have underlined the and avoid it. Do I recognize where I'm really walking? Or do I walk right into the wrong path? Do I understand where this small step in the wrong direction will take me? If it's followed by another small step in the wrong direction and another small step in the wrong direction, they're they're just tiny baby steps. Just tiny baby steps. Thank you for that amen there, Bell. 
Talking about baby steps, she thought that was her cue. But, but do I recognize, oh my goodness, if I keep going in this direction, here's where I'm going to end up. And again, I'm not saying this for you, but I'll own it. I can see where your steps are leading you way easier than I see where my steps are leading me. That comes back to seeing with clarity. Where will my actions, what's the end result? How is this going to end well for me? How many times, Diana, how many times do you hear me say, do they not see where that's going to end up for them? I can tell them right now, this isn't going to end well for you. How many times have I told people that? How many times have I said that about situations? You know what? They're in a relationship. It's not a healthy relationship. This is not going to end well for them. I know it. Do I have that same capacity to see with clarity in my own life? And then respond. And again, we're going to come back. There's actually another said hutting called be wise. But since this verse mentioned in, in, in 15, verse 15, it said, uh, not as unwise, but wise. So I'm going to make a wise or wisdom comment, not a wise comment because, you know, uh, but I'm going to talk about wisdom briefly. And it's a simple question is have you, do you, will you ask God for wisdom? Is that a priority to you? Some of you remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3 where Solomon, as a young person, a young adult, is becoming king over the nation of Israel. And and he kind of has one of those moments with God where he says, you know, ask for whatever you want. And he asked for wisdom to lead God's people. Didn't ask for power. He didn't ask to shut down all of his enemies. He didn't ask to get rich and all of that. He said, give me wisdom to lead your people. And I wonder, have we made that same request? I, again, I lose sight of that. You know, for me, probably it wouldn't be a terrible idea if every day before my feet hit the ground, it's like, Lord, give me wisdom because I got a great capacity to mess things up today. Will you give me wisdom? James chapter 1 verse 5 puts it this way. If any of you lacks wisdom, now again, maybe someone in this room does not lack wisdom. But I think odds are pretty good that most of us need to say, yup, that's me. He says, if any of you ask wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. That's a promise from God that if you ask, it's like, Lord, give me wisdom to face today or give me wisdom in this situation. It's not like God's going to say, Steve, you're an idiot. I'm not going to give you wisdom today because you biffed it yesterday. James says it doesn't work that way. Now, I have to have the wherewithal to walk in the wisdom he gives me to benefit from it. But if I ask, he will give it. I may not like it. You ever do that? Oh, Lord, please show me what to do. You want me to do that? That's not what I want to do. Can I ask again tomorrow and maybe you'll give me a different answer? God, here's what I think the answer should be. No. James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault and it will be given to you. 
And then later, James in chapter 4 says this in verse 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace will reap a harvest of righteousness. I know some of us are pretty smart cookies. Uh, Maybe all of us are. But when it comes to godly wisdom that is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, then submissive, then full of mercy, and full of good fruit, impartial and sincere, where do I rank, excuse me, time for an eye exam, where do you rank, where do I rank on that standard of wisdom? Just something to chew on. Next is be intentional. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. If we are inclined to think things are not going well in the world around us, all the more reason for us to make the most of every opportunity. The questions here... Do I seize the hours and minutes of every day? Now, over the years, I have been inclined at times to think I was pretty efficient with my time. And every time I've actually, usually because it was assigned to me, in some kind of personal growth experience I was doing, where I had to keep a log of my time, every time it was like, Oh, there's a lot of time here that really isn't accounting for anything and amounting to very much. Now, that may not be the case for anyone else, but for me, there's incredible value. You know, for me, the one of the just plain old simple country boy things is if I make a list, I find I'm way more efficient and effective in getting stuff done. But do I seize the hours and minutes of every day in part, as the verse 16 says, because the days are evil? Do I live in light of the brevity of life? Do I live in light of the brevity of life? If you want to grapple with that a little bit, Set a time-specific goal for yourself. And all of a sudden, the brevity of life gets real, real quick. Some of you may have been present in mid-February when I stood here and said, in 12 and a half months, I'm going to retire. That seemed like a really long time ago. I mean, gosh, that's forever. Now it kind of gets tight in my chest just saying it. Because that's coming really, really quick. That's not just true for me. That's true for all of us. And the sobering thing is, none of us, none of us knows how brief life really is. 
my grandfather died at 93. And if it wasn't fried in lard, my grandpa didn't eat it. All right? Again, he drank way too much for most of his life. And he either chewed or smoked tobacco pretty much his whole life. And he lived to 93. My dad is currently 94. And it's really tempting for me to assume I got 30 years left. No, we don't know. James 4.14 put it this way. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Do I live in light of the brevity of life? Sometimes we just need to stop and ask ourselves that question. And then the third one. Am I being intentional about my time or am I wasting my time thinking that I have plenty? Just something to chew on. And as we be, again, the whole eye exam, the whole preparing my heart for personal revival starts with this kind of an attitude adjustment of realizing there are things that matter more than other things. And I probably need to make sure beyond any shadow of doubt that I'm making time I am prioritizing the things that matter over the things, the things that matter more over the things that matter a little bit less. And I warned you it was coming. Be wise. Ephesians 5, 17. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not be foolish. Typically, oftentimes I should say, the Bible contrasts foolishness with wisdom. And so to me, it's not saying, just saying, don't be foolish. Again, I t- unless we're joking around, which again, we just said probably isn't the best thing. But if I were to come up to you and call you a fool, you probably wouldn't take it as a compliment. I, I think that's a fairly safe assumption. Probably a lot of it depend on the tone of voice and the context and all of that. But that's not usually something we want to be considered. So the alternative is, is to be intentional about pursuing Wisdom. And again, these questions, just pretty simple. Am I wise or do I think foolishly? And I just want to suggest, again, I should have made this clear from the beginning. I cannot answer these questions for any one of you. You must ask them and you must answer them for yourselves. You may be doing something that I think is utterly foolish, but if it's something God's having you do, then I'm the fool for thinking I understand what's going on in your life. But you need to ask it. You need to wrestle with it. And I'm going to say more about that in just a moment. But am I wise or do I think foolishly? One of the things I did in preparation for this was I did a word search on wise slash wisdom. What a refreshing word search. Some of you, again, I know that I'm dating myself, but some of you remember a day where there were those who would pray for divine guidance. Lord, please show me what to do. And they would go, 
and they would get a word from God. All right. Now, that never worked that well for me. But I know people who just thought that was all they needed to hear from God. Now, today it's a little bit different. When I did my word search on wise, I got on version, one of the apps that I use, and I typed wise. Search the entire Bible. And if you use version, maybe other apps do it similarly, but if you do use version, it gives you this huge list of all the times that that word is used. But it picks one out of the hundreds. It picks one and puts it at the top as a banner. So I, in preparation, I typed in wise and I hit search and it scrolls all through them. But the one at the top, the, the, this is God's message to me moment said, fools give full vent to their rage, but the wise bring calm in the end. So much for that search. But, but friends, Have you looked to see what the Bible has to say about wisdom? Have you wrestled with what that looks like in your life? Have you read Proverbs? My goodness, it's called wisdom literature. Seems like a good starting point if we want to be wise. But verse 17 said, Therefore do not be foolish, be wise, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do I understand God's overall will for my life? Do I know his purpose and plan for every man? That's all lumped together in one, because I've thrown in another question here. Do I understand God's will for my life? Do I know his purpose and plan for every man? And I'm going to say this probably again in just a moment. The latter question Do I know his purpose and plan for every man? There are some things that scripture makes very clear. The question for you personally, God's will for your life, I I cannot tell you how many times over the years people have said, Pastor, I I just need to know God's will for my life. I think sometimes they thought maybe I was going to tell them. But friends, I personally believe God doesn't make it easy for you to figure that out because he wants you to get down, scratch and dig and do the hard work of sorting out what he has for you in your walk with him. But as far as the the overall purpose for every man, I think about some of the obvious ones that many of you have heard countless times. Matthew chapter 22, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's God's will for us. That's God's will. And wisdom suggests that I'm trying to lean into that Every day of my life. Matthew chapter 28 at the end, the Great Commission. Go therefore unto all the nations. Teaching, preaching, baptizing. Helping people to connect with God in a real life-changing fashion. Acts chapter 1-8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be, you will be my witnesses. That's God's will for us. 1 Thessalonians 4-3. Again, let's start with the obvious. When a verse starts out that says, it is God's will 
that you, to me, that's kind of sit up and take notice moment. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, holy, set apart for God. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That's a good place to start. If you want to know God's will, let's see what scripture says about that. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What's God's will for you? Rejoice always, but... Don't you know how miserable things are for me? Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks and also... Do you not understand what my circumstances are? This is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. In my ancestor position that I am more and more discovering God's specific will for my life and days? Am I walking in his prescribed will today, right now? Am I planning to do that this week? Now, again, I understand everyone's spiritual experience is different. But for me, it has never been a matter of God simply saying, This is your will, and you do this exactly this way for the rest of your days. For me, it's a very, very fluid thing. And I'll be very candid that sometimes I'm pretty slow on the uptake. I don't know what it'll be like for you. But you have a God-given responsibility as a follower of Christ to lean into that. And say, first of all, have I done the hard work of discovering it? And am I being intentional about leaning into it? Again, Scripture doesn't give us that formula quite as succinctly as some of the ones I just mentioned. But in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, 2. Don't be transformed by the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a start for what God's will looks like in your life. But he wants you individually, he wants me as an individual, to develop the ability to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's why I've always been pretty cautious when somebody came to tell me what they thought God's will was for my life. Because I've kind of always thought that if God wanted me to know something, he had the capacity to tell me directly. I remember early on in our time here in Albion, when someone, I'm sure they were filled with the love of Jesus, felt compelled to tell me that I probably had missed it and I wasn't really called into pastoral ministry. Now, maybe I have missed it for the past 40 years. But I felt like that was God's responsibility to tell me, and he wasn't telling me the same thing he was apparently telling them. The only reason I was able to withstand that, because trust me, I laugh about it now, but it hurt and it hurt bad. But the only reason I was able to process that was because I'd 
done some work before then and had a sense for what he was telling me. Colossians 1.9 For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the, all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Two things there. Who, because this is someone else praying for me. It'd be like me praying for Greg. Greg, I'm praying, I'm continually asking God to fill you, Greg, with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Who, who are you praying that for? I mean, some of us just pray our kids will graduate from high school and not wreck the car, right? I mean, but can we raise the bar a little bit? Okay. But then the other side of it is, if Greg wants to know God's will for his life, doesn't it make sense that he would go to people he respects and say, would you please pray that God will fill me with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives? Makes good sense to me. Who better to tell us what God's will is for our lives than God? Colossians 4 verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. In other words, this guy who loves you, who's been serving with us, he sends his greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Friends, first of all, you need to wrestle with it, and you need to invite others to wrestle with it for you on your behalf. Be sober. Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Just to be clear, this is not a comment about the evils of alcohol. We can talk about that if you want. It does talk about intoxication. And as that question asks, am I intoxicated with the things of this world? Can I just say, being intoxicated with alcohol, that's such low-hanging fruit Paul wouldn't have wasted his breath on just that. We all need to grapple with what are the things that affect our judgment and distract us from God. Am I intoxicated? Am I am so filled with anything from this world that it distracts me from God's purpose for my life. Another way of looking at it, is there anything in this world that is controlling me? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says this. And this, I mean, good American statement. I have the right to do anything. Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. I'm free in Christ, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Is there anything in this world that is controlling you? Just think about it for a minute. I almost did this to you, but it was going to be too too confusing. But if, about a couple years ago, Diane and I were at a conference, and, and you know, I don't know, maybe four or five hundred people there. And, and one of the speakers got up, and the first thing he did, and, and see, over the years, I've gotten lazy. And, and I'm not saying if you're doing this that you're being lazy, you're just being efficient. But when I would go and hear a speaker, you know, back in the old days, you used to take notes, you know, I, little legal pad, and I'd write down everything he said. Eventually, when we started doing this, it's just I'd take out my phone and take a picture, because that's way easier than writing stuff down, all right? So... This speaker comes out and he says, take out your phones. And it's like, okay, he's going to tell us to download the app for his ministry or he's going to, you know, tell us to look up scripture or whatever. And he says, turn and pass your phone to the person behind you. Say what? And so, you know, we're kind of, you know, we do that. And then he says, take the phone that you just got and pass it two people to the left. And I'm doing the math in terms of, you know, where's my phone at now? And then it was turn and pass it back another row. And by this time, I've lost track of my phone. Stress was an understatement. Some of you were getting tight in the chest as I was talking about that. Now, my phone is beneficial for me. But does it master me? Just think about it for a minute. My diet, my career, my relationships, my social media. Now, none of those are bad things. But... We have to ask ourselves, is there anything in my life that is controlling me? The third one is, is that intoxication making me do things I otherwise would not do? Again, I try really hard not to do grumpy old man rants, but sometimes I can't help myself. Because I'm sometimes I'm a grumpy old man, and that's what we do. Uh, but but if you think about it, if if you have the opportunity to be with a friend or a loved one that you cherish the relationship, that if they were gone, if you got the call that they had passed unexpectedly, you would be devastated. If you have a relationship like that and you sit down at the dinner table with that person, why in the world are you on your phone? Can I, can I just say that? Why? And that could be applied to countless things. But I look at the things that can influence our lives. And can take us places God 
does not intend for us to go because we are so intoxicated with those things. Like I said, don't drink alcohol to excess. That's that's the easy, low-hanging fruit. But am I intoxicated with the things of this world? My appearance, my possessions, whatever it is, to the point that it prompts me to do things that I otherwise would not do. Be filled. Paul started out by saying, don't be intoxicated. But then he comes and says, instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, sometimes... I. I don't want to be overly simplistic. But sometimes um, we can talk about being filled with the Spirit of God and we lose sight of what that might possibly mean because we can look at a glass of water and we can say anywhere beyond halfway is full. But if you're paying for a drink and they give you the glass that's just like one millimeter above half full, you don't think you got a full cup. You want it to be full, full. Sometimes when we talk about being filled with the Spirit of God, we want just one millimeter over the center line. And I think God calls us to be filled full of His Spirit. Am I daily, hourly, consciously controlled by the Spirit? Again, maybe I'm not the only one who's ever done something you regret. You know, you've said something in response, you've lashed out out of frustration and stopped to think, oh, that that wasn't the right thing to do. We're called to daily, hourly, be consciously controlled by the Spirit of God. And I can tell you, there are plenty of days where there's stuff I would have done differently if I was really filled and controlled by the Spirit. Is the aroma of Christ's presence in my life evident to others? You've had the experience. You, you just interact with a complete stranger and you can just smell in a good way that there's something different about them. There is an aroma. You can, you walk away, even if you, Diana will say, are you a Christian? I probably would walk away thinking they're probably a Christian, but that, that's just the difference between she and I. But you, you know what I'm saying? is there's just something different about someone that they just radiate Christ. I've told you before, way back in the day, when we were at the church that sent us over here, that was just a little bit of a gal. She seemed ancient at the time. She was probably my age now. But anyway, she seemed ancient at the time. And she was, you know, the prayer warrior. And and it, she she just had that that aroma about her that if she said whatever it is, 
I will pray for you. I got goosebumps. Cause, cause I just knew. I knew something was different about her that she clearly had a, a line to him that, uh, didn't ever get put on hold. Uh, so, but, but again, do, do people feel that way about you? You may not know it, but is that your goal? To have people just sense, you know, I don't get it, but there's just something different without you wearing a button or a t-shirt that says something, but just, you know, it's just something different. And I know I've gone long, but am I doing things that grieve and or quench the Spirit's activity in and through my life? Am I so filled that I don't ever get in His way? You know, it, it's, it's humbling to think that sometimes God may be just shaking his head. Oh, Steve, I had so much planned for you today and you just blew it. Not that he doesn't still love me, but just, Steve, it, if you just hadn't said that, things would have gone a lot better for us. Am I doing things that grieve and or quench the Spirit's activity in and through my life? One last passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 through 33. With this idea of quenching the Spirit. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. In this time of such incredible division, what do I do? Is everything I do being done for the glory of God? Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Do not cause anyone to stumble, regardless of who they are. Or what they look like. Picking up again with verse 33. Even as I try to please God in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good. But the good of many. So that they may be saved. I told you it's an eye exam. Time to, time to check in. And, and just take this thought with you. What would change. If I were to actively. Consciously. Consistently. Strive to be careful, to be intentional, to be wise, to be sober, and to be filled. What would change? That's the first part of what it takes, according to this author. One of the ways we can begin to unpack what it looks like to experience personal revival. Pray with me. Father, there is no doubt that you always want to see us revived. You always want to see us renewed. You always want to see us being careful, being intentional, being wise, being sober, and being filled by your Spirit. And Father, help us to become increasingly focused on our heart and what we need to do in order to become more fully aligned with you. Thank you, Father. Amen.